0: Good evening, everyone. Well, thank you to Mapike, thank you to Matepo, thank you to Mahena for, for reading for us. Uh, friends, it's not a drill. We are going to be going through three and a bit chapters of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4 all the way to chapter 7 to verse 3. But I do promise that we will be home just before midnight. So we won't be here <laughs> that long. Anyway, by way of introduction, who here has held to superstitions, or who still holds to superstitions? Maybe it was, or it is, a piece of jewelry that you have around your neck, a specific cross, or maybe it's a bracelet, a special bracelet that you got from a grandma or a grandpa that you wear around your wrist. Or maybe it's a special Bible that you received just when you got saved. Or a special Bible that you received from a mentor. What is that one thing that you have as a superstition? Or maybe you've heard about the churches that put the faces of the pastor on the car. And as, as long as the face of the pastor or the logo of the church is on that car, they believe that that car is protected from God. You can't have any of our pictures. Superstition. I remember I used to pick up money, and don't expose yourself, maybe you still do this, but if I was walking and there was money on the floor, obviously I was like, ah, providence from God. So I'd pick up the money and I'd draw a cross, (laughs) right? And, and that simply means that, ah, the Lord is going to again provide for me money on the floor because I've done the cross. Or maybe you still do the three-point check when God does something great for you, and you believe that because you continue to do these things, God will continue to do good. Or maybe you skip all these steps and you dive into religious rituals. You use the actual things of God as a lucky charm. For example, during exams, during job hunting, before a big interview or a meeting, when things are difficult at home or things are difficult with your family, when the chips are down, basically when your back is against the wall, and then your church attendance goes from there to there. Or maybe you weren't really praying, and all of a sudden you have turned from a prayer once a day to a prayer warrior. Or maybe you have now pulled out your Bible because the chips are down. You start to fast. You attend that Bible study and realize that everyone has now changed because they're all gone. All religious activities that were once off are now back on because the chips are down. You once weren't interested in the things of God, and now all of a sudden you must do them as using God as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Tonight, we will see something similar where God was put into a box we will follow the, the journey of the Ark of the Covenant from, from Israel to Philistine and back to Israel. Things to look out for. As you were listening to the reading from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 7, I hope you heard something of the heart of the nation Israel. I hope you heard something of the battle that they were in with the Philistines. I hope you, le- you heard something of the heart of the Philistines But I hope you also picked up that Samuel was absent from chapter 4, and he only appeared in chapter 7. That was indicative of the hearts of the people. They did not want to hear from God, but they wanted to use Him. And so I've decided to break down these three and, and a bit chapters to two lessons and one application. The first point we'll see tonight is the lesson for the nation Israel. God is going to teach the nation Israel a lesson. God is going to teach the nations a lesson. And then the nations and the nation nation Israel and the nations will have to apply these lessons that they've now learned from God. So pray with me before we start tonight. Dear Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for opportunity for us together and worship you like this. Thank you, God, that we can worship you through the preaching and the receiving of your word. Lord, we pray that your word that was read by Mapike, Matepo, and Hannah, that, God, you've blessed it. And we pray now as we unpack all the truths in there that your spirit, Lord, would, would lead us in that process. God, may I speak as one who is led by your spirit. But, Lord, also praying that you would, you would do a work in our hearts leading towards the table where, God, you remind us of your holiness and, God, you remind us of our sinfulness. And, God, I do pray that if there is some here, Lord, that you will be tugging at our hearts, wanting to pull us back to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that, Lord, we would once again be found enjoying fellowship with you. God, may we be those who are always nearer to the cross. And, Lord, I pray even now as I preach, that, God, you, you would use me and be near me, and God, may you bless even this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with lessons for the nation. So we've, we've read that the Philistines were about to, they were on a mission to enlarge their territory and they were about to strike the nation Israel. Israel, we know, were too focused on doing what was right in their own eyes that they were weakened Because they didn't realize that they did not have God on their side for battle. And so Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of their men. And so it brought about the question, how come that we have now been defeated by the Philistines? And so they start questioning and they ask a good question, but they answer that question incorrectly we'll see a good question but a wrong answer. It says, When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us before the Philistines? That is a good question. Why has the Lord defeated us? There's clear evidence from this question that there was a high view of the sovereignty of God in ancient Israel. But though they knew God, Though they knew that he was in control, they, by their unrighteousness, suppressed the truth. They knew that something was wrong. They knew that they had sinned against a holy God, and yet the nation Israel was refusing to repent of their sins. They didn't want to deal with the real problem, and the real problem was that there was sin in the camp. And instead, they decided to take the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm in battle. You'll never believe who was around or who was, who was there when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Read verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim and the two sons of Eli. Eli. Hophni and Phinehas were they with the Ark of the Covenant of God. It is no coincidence that Hophni and, Ph- and Phinehas are the guys that the author chose to mention in this text. God was about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. He was about to get their attention. He was about to show them that their foolishness of their ways, and he was also about to show them their need for repentance. I couldn't help but think that this is still a problem in Christianity today. The children of God are still sweeping their sins under the rug, but are still trying to bait God with rituals that he grants them their desires. Matthew Hendry says this. It is common for those who have estranged or separated themselves from the vitals of religion to discover a great fondness for the rituals and external observances of it. Sadly, There's no connection in the minds of the saints that what God desires is holiness. That God is most glorified, not when we are most comfortable, but when we are most holy, when we are most obedient, when we find Him as our greatest pleasure. And so, God may cause ears to tingle using our lives today. For the sole purpose of drawing us back to Himself and showing others through our testimony of repentance that God desires His people be holy, obedient, and satisfied in nothing else but Him. How did this play out for the nation Israel? See verse 5. And so, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, "What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean?" And when they learned that the ark of the of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, "A god has come into the camp." And they'd say, "Woe!" And they said, "Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before." Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of this, of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And they fled every man to his house and there was a great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. We have three responses here. First, we hear the the great shout of joy the ark is here, the ark is here, victory shall be ours. They were convinced that the mere presence of the ark would grant them sure victory against the Philistines. They remembered the victory of Joshua. They remembered the victory of Moses when the ark was present. The Philistines respond with fear. They remember what the gods of Israel did to the Egyptians. But they sort of had the stories twisted. Because in the times of the, of the Egyptians and the nation of Israel, the ark was not present. But we can learn that they knew about God, but they did not know God. Because they responded in foolish arrogance. Did you pick it up? Take courage. Be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews. And they, as they have been to you, be men and fight. <laughs> That's like proper cheerleading right there. How foolish it was for the Philistines to think that they could actually stand before the great God of all creation. Church, the will of God will not be thwarted. We cannot use the things of God to manipulate God into submission to our will. Church attendance, Bible reading, coming to uh, or, or serving Him, praying or fasting cannot be used to manipulate God. He does as He wills. He sees the hearts of man. He is not confined to a box. He is not confined to a tent, a temple that we have built with our own hands, the high Heavens cannot contain him. The nation Israel thought they had God in a box and they could manipulate him into giving them victory, but it did not work. There was a great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. At this moment in the story, you'd almost pause and think, evil surely must have won. But friends, that's not true. Evil thinks that it has won, but God was simply delivering judgment on the house of Eli and on the nation Israel. This was actually just a lesson to the nation. The glory of God had departed. Eli, the priest, dies as he hears of the death of his son. See verse 15. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of the Lord has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He judged Israel 40 years. Eli's death would be followed by the death of his daughter-in-law. Just before she dies, she gives birth to a son, and she calls her son Ichabod because the glory of God had departed. Israel had lost the Lord's blessing. The Lord had departed from their midst. Now you remember from last week that I had said that the the Lord is omnipresent. He is present everywhere all the time, and yet there may be a sense of the absence of God. Friends, this was only a visual representation of a present reality. The blessing of the Lord had already left the nation Israel long before the ark was taken by the Philistines. But in their sin, Israel refused to believe it. They had already drifted far from God that this was only a slap at the back of the head to show them how far they had actually drifted into the ocean of sin. Some of you might have heard me share this story before, but I had an old mentor who became a friend in ministry who was snorkeling um, by the ocean or by the sea, um, but he was snorkeling close to the reef with his daughter. And whilst they were enjoying the view of under the water, they were looking at the crabs and they were looking at all the fish, they, they didn't realize that they were drifting deeper and deeper into the sea. Now, if you know anything about reefs, you'll know that there's often what is called a rip current, and this rip current desires nothing else, I believe, than to pull you into the ocean. So as soon as my mentor and his daughter lifted up their heads, they realized that they had drifted away from safety on the other side of the the reef, and then they were hit with the rip current. They tried to swim back. But their their attempts to swim back were only in vain. Their energy was drained, causing my friend to throw his daughter towards a wave which tossed her back over the reef, whilst he continued to drown. (laughs) What's the connection here, Pastor? (laughs) Well, we often find ourselves, as we walk here on the earth, With our heads on the ground, enjoying the pleasures of it, that we fail to see that we too are drifting or have drifted into the depths of the sea of sin, and we fail to realize that we're actually further away from God than we would like to admit. The ark was captured. The priest had died the ark was gone has God given up on the nation Israel has the have the foreign nations who believe in other gods defeated the Israelites and their God Well the answer is no Though the Lord may allow for evil, he does not do evil himself. But when bad things happen to God's people, the Lord has guided the events according to his eternal plan. But those who did the evil, those who do the evil, will not go free on the basis that God has produced good from that evil. That's encouraging. Unrepented sin will not go unpunished perpetrators will pay for the wrong that they have done those who produce the suffering and the persecution to which we have been called in Scripture to endure will themselves suffer under the righteous hand of God as judge so take heart the evil will pass you will be given strength by the Almighty God through his spirit to remain The Lord will judge. Though the glory of God had left the nation, it still remained with the remnant. And so our next point, the lesson for the nations. The lesson for the nations. We see this in chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it besides Dagon. And the people of Ashdod rose early the next day. Behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they arose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not thread on the thresh floor of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Friends, the disobedience and subsequent failure of the nation Israel did not equal the failure or the weakness of God. The Philistines defeated the nation Israel, but they did not defeat God. In the pride of their foolishness, they put the Ark of the Covenant next to their God, Dagon. Big mistake. God is not mocked. The Philistines weren't mocking the Israelites by removing the Ark of the Covenant, but they were launching a direct attack at God. They were mocking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The lesson for the nations was clear. The Lord our God is one. He it is who is sovereign over all the earth. The Lord, it, he is holy in all of his ways. He is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. Our God is full of wrath. And so God was about to teach the nations that he is God. This was a boss move. Friends, he is not to be mocked every knee will bow before him. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Well, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains, He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth." And his its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings pe- princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness? See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Church, this is our God. Dagon was no match to him, Buddha is no match to him, Zeus, Muhammad, Muhammad, the so-called men and women of God, Brahman, Shintus, Kami, ancestors, Baal, the universe, Mother Earth, Satan and his demons are no match for the Lord your God. They are not even in the same league as he is. In fact, they are enemies of his and will all bow at the name of Jesus. All the enemies of God will know of his power. The hand of God is heavy on all who have rejected him and and live as his enemies. See verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. And he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Friends, from Ashdod to Gath to Akron. See verse 11, for there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy. The men who did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to the heaven. The whole city knew something of the reality of God. The wrath of God was revealed upon them. It was devastating, it was disastrous, and it brought with it death. There was no doubt that they messed with the wrong God. And so they agree that something must be done to get rest from the heavy hand of God. They understood that they were guilty. They had wronged God and he was angry. So what do they decide? Chapter 6, verse 3. If you send away the ark of God, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Remember the illustration I shared of my mentor and friend in the reef? Well, it mirrors our lives in that when we realize that we have drifted away from God, we tend to try to save ourselves. We try to manage the gap between God and us. We try by our own works to fix the situation, by our own efforts, by our own offerings. We swim as hard as we can, forgetting that there is the rip current of sin that continues to push us back away from him. So then, how did my friend survive? Well, he did not die, by the way. But he needed help. He needed someone to come in, carrying a boy, and save him from sure death. Friends, I think we forget that we always need Christ. In and of ourselves, we cannot just randomly find our way to Him. We need Jesus. We need His Spirit. We always need Him to save us from death. It's never our works, lest any man should boast. It's always Him. Our repentance to salvation is through him by the Spirit. Our repentance in sanctification is through him, our propitiation, our advocate with the Father and by the Spirit. I hope you remember Isaac's sermon. Isaac made the point that there is a right way to worship. Friends, we cannot go to God on our own terms to make things right. It has to be on His. See verse 19. And He struck some of the men of Beth Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck seventy men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemeth said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, to whom shall he go, to whom shall go, sorry, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Cariath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord, come down and take it up to you. The way to worship the holy God did not stop mattering to God because the ark had returned. The how of worship has always and will always matter to God. These Israelites knew the law that the ark of the covenant was only to be touched and handled by specific Levites from the family of Kohath, and even they were commanded to not touch the ark itself. But they went against the holiness of God by prying into the ark. They were so brash that they opened the ark to see what's inside like kids at a candy store. They took lightly what God takes very seriously as it is connected to his very being. This is his holiness. How jealous is God for the honor of his ark? He would not allow for it to be treated with irreverence. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? To whom shall he go up away from us? Friends, praise the Lord for Jesus praise the lord that he grants us standing before god he calls us to be holy as he is holy the veil has been torn between god and man through the work of jesus on the cross friends we can know god we can draw near to him we can stand before his presence not because of our own merit but because of the man on the middle cross Friends, forgiveness and restoration must always involve faith and repentance. We can't bait the blessing and the presence of God by mere good works. David wrote, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So church tonight, don't waste an opportunity to repent and make right with God. Lift up that carpet, that carpet that has all the sins that you have hidden. Lift up that carpet and bring all those sins before God. Don't wait for when the chips are down and your back is against the wall that you decide then that you will cry out to Almighty God. Cry out to Him tonight. Maybe you are sitting here tonight and you have drifted far from God. And maybe you think that simple attendance to church tonight will make things right. Or maybe you have done some spiritual ritual and believe that God has now overlooked your sin because of what you have done and he has all of a sudden forgiven you. Friend, you are mistaken. You too need to believe and repent. There must be confession. There must be repentance. Come before the altar of God. Ask him to forgive you but be specific. Don't be general. Name those sins that you need forgiveness from. Ask him to purge you with with hyssop, that you shall be clean. Ask him to wash you, that you shall be whiter than snow. Ask like David, that he would hide his face from your sins and blot out your iniquities. Ask him to create in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit within you. Ask him to draw near to you as you drew near to him. And so finally, to close, application from the lessons learned. So Daniel will really unpack on chapter 7, so I'll just read it and highlight a few things. Verse 1, And the man of Kiriath, Jerim, came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. The ark is back. Surely, all order must be restored, right? Well, wrong. It says, From the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 20 years before the nation was right with God again. Friends, I hope you get the heart of this narrative before being sorry being right with the lord is not the result of mechanical ritualistic practice but it must be from a humbling of ourselves a humbling of ourselves before god a bringing our hearts down before him confessing and repenting from our sins spurgeon commented and said it may be very nat- it may very naturally be asked where was Samuel all that time for 20 years? Where was this prophet priest? I know not what he was doing during those 20 years, Spurgeon says, but I have a suspicion. I may say I have a firm persuasion that he was going from place to place Preaching in quiet spots wherever he could gather an audience, warning the people of their sin and stirring them up to seek Jehovah, thus endeavoring to infuse some spirituality into their national life. See, God had promised and he did. He dealt with the house of Eli, he was dealing with the nation Israel. But before he restores them to fellowship with him, he had one condition. That condition was be holy. The condition was clear, separate yourself from the world, separate yourself from the other gods and direct your affections and your devotions to me, the Lord God Almighty. There must be a severing, there must be a forsaking of the gods of this world, there must be a forsaking of ourselves. Forsake what you think is right in your own eyes and seek what God has said is right and Do what he has commanded you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. Church, God wants your heart. The wellspring of life. God wants your exclusive worship. He desires, no, in fact, he commands that you be holy as he is holy. I hope you've learned from the lesson to the nation Israel, that God is not a lucky charm. He will discipline and He will punish all sin. I hope you learned from the lesson to the nations that our God, the Lord Almighty, reigns. He will conquer the enemy. And I hope you will respond like the nation Israel and put away the Baals and the Ashtaroths and serve the Lord only. Let's pray. (laughs) Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? What other glory consumes like fire? What other power can raise the dead? What other name remains undefeated? Who else could rescue us from our failings? Who else can offer his only son? Who else invites us to call him father? Only a holy God. Only God. My holy God, come and behold him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God.